right, welcome back to the Miss Art World podcast. I am your host, Miss Art World, and I have my specialty uh, co-host occasionally, uh, my husband Tyler with us, who's been on a couple of our episodes. And then we have a special guest with us today, um, Teach or Teacher, who is a graffiti artist from LA. Welcome. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you for having me on. Mm-hmm. Of course. And so you're a graffiti artist. You also co-host a podcast. Yes, uh, Paint the Town uh, podcast. It's the, the PTTP show on Instagram. And uh, yeah, we um, started that, I guess, about uh, almost two years ago. And we're up to about 55 episodes. That's good. That's yeah, but we don't have any kind of you know regularity like we're not like every thursday we you know whatever Mm -hmm. it's mainly because james my co-host is very busy he's all over the place he's traveling to different countries and he also works with a company that does acrylics and chemicals and so he's when he's doing work for them um he's actually included me in on some projects and we've actually been able to do podcasts like in germany and then uh Amsterdam and in just in Shanghai. So um, we're kind of using his other business to help us, you know, promote our business as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, we uh, we're basically, you know, we started off with just you know we're going to do uh, graffiti artists, street artists, you know, in LA and whatever. But then you know we're like we should open this up to anything that has to do with the streets or art. Really, we don't want to limit ourselves, you know. And so you know we've had even like my wife on. Um, who's dealt with a street art or graffiti <laughs> artist. Um, and, uh, you know, so we're also looking to put together a, uh, a TV show. And we're going to basically try to make me like the Anthony Bourdain of street art. Mm-hmm. Oh, basically, cool. I'll go to a location, different yeah. country or whatever, meet up with an artist and, you know, have dinner with them. If they party, party with them. You know, if they don't party, we don't party. We respect whatever, <laughs> yeah. you know, situation they have going on. And then we uh, find a spot in the street for them to get up and do like a time lapse of them doing their piece. And uh, maybe I do a piece near them or something like that. Maybe I don't. Um, And then that's it. That's the episode. Nice and simple. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we're also working on that. So Sounds really cool. Thank you. Mm -hmm. We'll see where it goes. Yeah. So let's go. Let's dive into your background and your history as an artist and... That tell goes, us, tell us everything. That goes all the way back to like <laughs> since I can remember. Um, I'm I'm the kid that was doing like finger painting, and when I was the first thing I can remember doing was I was in a um, a preschool, four and five year old preschool, and I liked doing these little drawings on these little like three by five pieces of paper, these little hot rods. It was like the same hot rod, basically little differences here and there, and I was doing draw a bunch of these hot rods and take them to school and give them away. That's that's where it started, and then um, I would say the big, the big break. Well, I did some some airbrushing when I was about fourteen years old. I did some airbrushing. The town that I'm from in Destin, Florida, is a little tourist town, so there was an area that had a strip of these shops, and so I did some airbrushing there. But when I got into high school, my high school teacher, Miss Brogdon, uh, shout out Miss Brogdon. <laughs> <laughs> 
beautiful, beautiful, uh, shapely uh, lady. And, um, so you paid attention in that class. Well, you know what? I just wanted to impress her, you know, with, with what I could do as an artist. And so I really, you know, uh, made a best effort towards that. And then she actually enlightened me on the, uh, you know, the school for just the arts, an art school. And before that, I was kind of worried because I'm, I have partial dyslexia, so... Reading comprehension is a son of a bitch for me. And I didn't realize this until I was in my 30s. When I was in high school, I just thought I was an idiot. Oh, so you weren't, they didn't know that you had um, partial dyslexia? No, we didn't have terms like that back then. Mm -hmm. I'm 50 Mm -hmm. years old. You know what I mean? This was like, I graduated in 1987. Mm -hmm. And we didn't have terms like that. You know, I just, I wasn't that smart. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I tried to do my best with studying, but, you know, C's and B's were amazing for me. You know, if I ever got a nail, I was on top of the world. Yeah. But, you know, I managed not to get F's. Um, or, you know, I, usually C's were like my average. But um, See, that, that mirrors her, Katie's upbringing, because she has dyslexia in school. Ah. And one of her messages is how she felt stupid trying yeah. to learn and couldn't read, couldn't see the board. Yeah. I uh, thought there was, mm-hmm. you know, I mm-hmm. yeah. thought I was stupid, basically. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But luckily, I found out later on that I was fucked up. That's stupid. Oh, okay. There's so, a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you can't help being fucked up. You know what I mean? <laughs> stupid, you can work on it, I feel yeah. like. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. yeah, but so I, I was worried about going to college. You know, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, God, there's more after high school. Yeah. <laughs> but then, you know, my, my love, my art teacher, Miss Brogdon, was like, oh, there's an art school you can go to. And I'm like, oh, what do I got to do to get in there? Yeah. And, oh, my God, I remember doing, I did a, a portfolio of pencil drawings, all these things you had to, you know, assignments, whatever you had to do to, to submit. And I brought them to school to show her in, in the class or whatever, and someone stole them. Oh, oh no. <laughs> so I had to do them again. Wow. And, uh, but you know what? I did them again and actually did them better this, the second time. Yeah. Um, but uh, so, that you know, I made it into Ringling School of Art and Design mm. in 1987. <laughs> the year of our Lord AD. Oh. Um, <laughs> before many people were born, I feel like. But, um, you know, I, I learned a lot at, at art school. Um, got a bachelor's degree of fine arts, which, of what I ended up doing, commissioned paintings and stuff like that, really didn't make a hell of beans difference. It only makes a difference if you're going to do some kind of administration work or you're going to yeah. teach or something like that. Um, but, you know, I, I so like, did a bunch of commission paintings and stuff like that. That's that's what I ended up doing out of uh, out of going to art school for four years and getting a bachelor's yeah. degree. You know, my parents are like, you know, like I said, they they um, were working civil service on Eglin Air Force Base, and um, you know, my dad took me into work one day and showed me the art uh, design department of where they design these killing machines, <laughs> and. Um, you know, luckily they didn't push me into that. Um, they let me um, pursue the more creative side and uh, actually went into uh, modeling. Uh, so, I, I, so I saw that you did a little bit of pageant work. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so we actually have something in common. Yeah. We actually did something um, similar to, mm-hmm. well, it's maybe not similar, kind of uh, like a, maybe a cabaret version of, of okay. uh, pageantry. What mm-hmm. I did was... Uh, um, <laughs> trying to think of a nice way to, to put this. Uh, <laughs> My well, imagination was, is going crazy. Yeah. <laughs> well, 
What happened was I was kind of misled into a, a job okay. by a modeling agency called um, Michelle Pommier out of, um, out of Miami. They had a branch up in Tampa and I had gone to this casting and it was for uh, a calendar for Chippendales. Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> um, you'd be amazed at what this developed into. Um, they were also casting for guys to go to their do their shows that they were doing in Europe. Oh. And I'm like, um, I'm not a dancer. <laughs> I'm not a stripper. Like, I don't, yeah. you know, like I'm an artist, this, that, yeah. and the other. And they're like, yeah, you know, whatever. And yeah. so three weeks later, the vice president, um, I'm sorry, it was Irene Marie. I'm a chef. It was Irene Marie. Mm. Richard Pullman, the vice president, calls me up one day. He's like, hey, we got this contract here from these people. And they're very interested in you, you know, and, uh, you know, it's going to be a good opportunity. You're going to be going to London um, and these shows that they do, they're going to be at night. So you'll be able to, to go, you know, do your modeling jobs during the day. Um, and, you know, it's basically you're going to have to do some kind of dancing, but it's not, uh, you know, it's like your background guys or something like that. So you probably have to learn some choreography or something like that. But, you know, there's no stripping or anything like that involved. You know, we feel like it's a good opportunity for you. <laughs> And at the time, <laughs> at the time I was in Sarasota, Florida, and I was working at a restaurant, you know, and I was just starting to do commission paintings of, of show horses. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, um, all right, well, if you think it's going to be a good thing to do, then sure, let's give it a shot. All right. Yeah. Two days later, I get FedEx plane tickets to fly out here to L.A. I mean, they're like fast yeah, track. Yeah, Boom. yeah, yeah. And the next thing I know, I'm staying in this hotel down on like uh, Fairfax and Third or whatever, and um, we're rehearsing in the Third Street Dance Studio right next to the Beverly Center. Oh, no. yeah, and way to get thrown in. <laughs> oh man, well, it's uh, this is when it got really sketchy. Was I'd say about three or four days after I'd gotten out here, and it all started kind of cool, you know, like they they would. Yeah, like all these dance numbers, and so they would, they began with the beginning, and they would show you a little bit, and then they would kind of build on each each dance part as they went. Mm-hmm. But like day three or four, I remember seeing this little Indian Indian guy named Steve Banerjee, and he was arguing with one of the the veteran guys, like they're big muscle veteran guys, and he was yelling at him, and he was stuttering like crazy. He was, yo, 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 goddamn, yo, yo, I treat you so nice, you know. And he had change in his pocket. And he was just jingling the change in his pocket. And that happened a few other times. That's why mm-hmm. I mentioned those things. That's like him yelling, yeah. cussing, stuttering, and, mm-hmm. sh- and shaking the change in his pocket. And it was just really sketchy looking. And I was like, oh boy, what did I get myself into? And shortly after that conversation, I walked up on the group of guys that were sitting down talking about it. And I'm like, hey, what's up? And they're like, hey, dude, you know what you got? Uh, you know who these guys are, man? You know who you're working with here? And I'm like, what was I at the time, 25 years old? Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you mean? They're like, yeah, dude, okay, these guys are basically thugs, all right? <laughs> you know, I mean, don't worry about they're not going to ask you to do anything ridiculous yeah. or whatever, but, you know, if they ask you to do something, you know, good idea to kind of do it. Yeah. Know? And then I swear it was the next day, the head guy, Steve Banerjee, a little Indian guy, and uh, the head choreographer pulled me aside, and they're like, hey, we noticed you've been catching on the choreography really well. And we like your look and everything. We'd like you to do this one number by yourself. It's oh. called the bed number. Oh. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. bed number ended up being me by myself on stage in a $3,000 Italian suit. 
um, with all kinds of layers down to a thong that had Velcro on the sides. And a bed. Why does it need Velcro? Well, it's, yeah. It's coming. Yeah. <laughs> so there was myself and a bed with red satin sheets on it. Mm-hmm. And that's all that was on the stage. And by the end of the number, all that was, was left was me on the bed with nothing between me and the um, yeah. crowd but a pillow. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. The, the Velcro yeah. made it easier, to, of course, to get the uh, last little element off. There. Well, you know. <laughs> so, of course. Yeah, that's. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know that that's what I was agreeing to at first, mind you, when they said the bed number, you know, whatever. Like, I was still mm-hmm. fooling myself and thinking, okay, well, maybe this is just some dance thing by myself and I'm not still not a stripper. <laughs> So then we get to London, and like I said, they're building on each thing, and been, and I had a fitting, and I put on a thong for the first time, and I was like, why are we wearing thongs? Yeah. This was the look I had on my face, it's like yeah. scrunched, I feel like someone had their finger between my butt cheeks. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. But then when you put on the jeans that they wear, you understand why. They're like... Skin tight. Tight. Anything like, you have on under that, you can uh-huh. basically read the label of the underwear, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? So. <laughs> That's why I was like, okay, yeah. so that's why, that's why. Like, I'm mm-hmm. still fooling myself into thinking, but man, once mm-hmm. we got over to London, oh. <laughs> it was as if they kind of trapped us into it. Now, mind you, I find out later that normally they bring in guys and they take them to a show and let them watch the show and decide, hey, is this something you want to do? Yeah. yeah. And later when I had the meeting with the Indian guy, like sitting and having dinner, I was like, why don't you do that with me? Mm-hmm. I would have said no, because I'm not, this is not what I do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I have so many other things that I can do. And he's all, oh, we were in a hurry, you know, we just didn't have time to, you know, so, you know, we just had to get it going, you know. Um, but it was like, oh, my God. So we're over in London, you know, and all of a sudden, they're like, okay, and this is where you turn around and you pull down your tearaway jeans. We're like, oh, this is stripping. Yeah. There's no, okay, no, yeah. I'm not, <laughs> I've really been trying to build myself and try to, no, this is stripping. I'm yeah. stripping. This is just totally being taken advantage of here. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, went back to my, uh, mind you. Um, penthouse suite in Earl's Court, London. Everything I mean. was top of the line. <laughs> yeah. We were being escorted around in limousines and everything. Dang. We were like rock stars over mm-hmm. there. We were. Um, strippers. Rock star strippers. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> but um, I called my agency back in Florida and I was like, hey, uh, <laughs> this is what's going on here. And they're like, um, well, you know what? Uh, hang in there. We're going to take a look at the contract and we'll have you out there. You know, whatever. Next day I called them back. They're like, oh, um, so we took a better look at that contract, and it's a little bit tougher than we thought. You may have to kind of hang in there for a little while. Like, like 30 years? I'm like, years I'm in London. Or... I guess I'm going to stay here yeah. being a stripper, huh? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was pretty much a stripper in London in Covent Garden at the Strand Theater <laughs> for 12 weeks. Wow. Yeah. That's fascinating. That's... And it was a Me Too moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, this was a Me I was taking advantage. Yeah. This is a Me Too moment mm-hmm. right there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, now, mind you, before that, I'd already had another Me Too moment when I was doing my modeling career, and I was over in Italy, and I went and saw Johnny Versace at his studio on uh, San Babila in Milan. Oh, and wow. he's like, hey, uh, what are you doing tonight? We're having a dinner party at my place. Now, luckily, I had what was called a composite date that evening, which means that a friend of mine is like, hey, man, you want to, this girl has got this friend, you know, this is her. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so right in, right in Johnny Versace's face, he's like, you know, I'm like, oh, I got a date tonight. And he's like... <laughs> you just look like, oh, you're an idiot. Yeah. You know, I don't realize the opportunity that I'm giving you to, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like, but, no, no, but there's a girl. <laughs> yes. But here's the funny part. When I got back to the Pension 
and told the other guys, the Torniana Pensione, of course, of Simpione, right near the arch there in Milan. I told the other guys about this, and they just started laughing their asses off. I'm like, dude, yeah. you know what you just, you don't know how lucky you are. <laughs> what do you mean? Okay, so here's the dinner party at Versace's place, okay? Yeah. What do you think, a bunch of good models and guys, and, you know? No. It's Versace, it's his butler, it's maybe one other guy, and you. <laughs> yeah. That's the dinner party. <laughs> and by yeah. the end of the night, if, if Johnny isn't happy, you don't do much more in this town. Mm. If you're ever seen again. And there was a couple of guys I met over there that disappeared. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. No, this was like back in 1989. Mm-hmm. And it was sketchy as, like, the mob was running all the modeling agencies. Wow. I was with Fashion and Model Plan was run by Ricardo Guy, who was big into the mob scene over there. Mm-hmm. So I probably got out kind of lucky. Yeah. There were some other things that happened over there that were you know, sketchy as well. But we're... <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. I'm getting off on the other. Th- that no, is fascinating. Yeah. yeah, so I'm 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 lucky to be alive, really. Oh, so I got to finish the the, the Chippendales thing. Oh yes, so, yes, please. So basically, what happened was the second night of the show, uh, the end number is a big dance number. Myself and this other guy were the main feature, the choreographed fight scene. And this guy got a little too excited, and he threw me down stage instead of across stage. And then we had a oh. like a thirty-something live orchestra. Playing. Yeah. It was top of the line. Everything was top of the line. The right? It was stripping. We were yeah, stripping. Like was stripping. <laughs> Strippers. <Yeah. laughs> but so I saw yeah. that I was about to fall off into the orchestra pit. And so I like fell down as, as fast as I could. I ended up tearing some cartilage in my left knee because oh, I twisted no. it. And I just, I couldn't even stand back up. I just rolled off the side of the stage. And uh, then they sent me some doctors in London. And, and they were, I needed, possibly needed to have, have surgery. And so I said, look. Why don't we wait till we get back? We had like a four-week break after our 12 weeks there. I'll get an MRI then. If anything needs to be done, we're back in the States. It's yeah. going to be done, taken care of. Now, luckily, when I were on that break, I talked to someone that um, let me know how I could get out of the situation I was in and not be worried. Because I was worried I was going to get sued. Mm-hmm. These guys were like, look, yeah. the veteran guys that I was talking about, they're like, yeah, dude, each breach of contract, they can sue you for 20000 Wow. Yeah. And I know, like, if I was going to cut out, there's going to be several breaches going on. Mm-hmm. So, but I talked to this guy that uh, I remember who the hell he was, but uh, he told me what to say when I called my agency. And boy, did that work! I tell you what, I called mm-hmm. my agency. I'm like, hey, you guys need to take care of this stuff. Like, well, you know, this, that, and the other. I'm like, okay, well, uh, then I'll just call the state attorney of Florida. And no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll take care of it. Mm-hmm. I was like, boy, that works. Yeah, the right names, that and the right people. Mm-hmm. Um, but, ha. <laughs> I thought they could, took care of it, but they didn't. They, there was a finder's fee that, that the company that worked with Chippendales hadn't paid. And so they sent him a letter saying, if you don't pay within a certain amount of time, you know, he's out of his contract. That time came and went. So in the meantime, I fired my agency. I'm like, okay, now that I'm out of this, you sure? Okay. Yeah. They help yeah. you guys. I'm out. Yeah. yeah. And I went back to, or I went over to Spain. And started doing some modeling in Barcelona and went to Madrid. And then some possibilities came up in uh, London because I actually did a couple of jobs when I was in London. Mm-hmm. So I went back to London. <laughs> and my uh, agent says, hey, you know, those guys are actually back down at the theater. They're doing some filming down there. And by this time, I thought everything was all, I was all free and clear. And, you know, I just wanted to go down and say, hey, look, you know, sorry about what all happened. You know, yeah, if you did you know, let me know in the beginning, I, this never would have happened. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I go down there to the theater 
And I didn't understand the look in Steve Banerjee's face until several years later. And this guy turned around and looked at me. It was almost like, how you are yeah. one cocky son of a bitch. <laughs> and when I look back, it's amazing I was allowed to walk out of there. Mm-hmm. So I <laughs> tell him, hey, you know, so and he goes, uh, well, we paid the finder's fee and we're... Bob Green is writing up the papers to take it to court and sue you. I'm like, well, my agency didn't tell me that. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I says, but, you know, we can sell this out of court, you know, for $10,000. Now, you got to understand, we spend money training you and all the limos and everything, this, that, and the other. And it's like, let me call my agency because you know, I don't have $10,000 yeah. on yeah. obviously. So let me call my agency and I'll get this figured out, okay? Mm-hmm. Okay. And yeah. I walked right out of that. And, you know, at that time, I, I thought, okay, well, I'll get this taken care of, mm-hmm. right? This was in 1992. Um, like, I don't know, late summer. The following year, 1993, I find out that uh, Banerjee got thrown in jail for embezzling. Oh. But before that, there was a couple of weird calls that came to my modeling agency of a client in New York who wanted to use me for a big ad campaign. But they wanted to talk to me to see if it's something I was cool with. Mm. And so they wanted my number, but they didn't want to give their number. Yeah, and so my agency is like, mm-hmm. and like, what do you want us to do? I'm like, what do you think you should do? You don't, tell them you don't even know where I am. Tell them I went back to Spain, okay? Yeah. yeah. Three times calls came in like that. And yeah, so then after scary. I found the dude went to jail, it stopped. Oh. Cut to 1995. Um, I just happened to move out to Arizona because that was the next big modeling boom. Supposed to be in, in Scottsdale, Arizona. Ooh, Scottsdale. <laughs> Scottsdale. Yeah. Who knew? You know, a lot of Germans are shooting out there. A lot of Germans are shooting their stuff out oh, there. Oh, okay. So um, I'm out there and um, I, I'm working a fashion show for Nike. Mm. And one of the choreographers was the head, one of the head choreographers for the Chippendales thing. We see each other and we're like, whoa, hey, man, what's going on? And uh, he's like, yeah, we thought you dropped off the face of the earth. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, How literally. Well, what happened was once the guys got to know me and found out that I was not wanting to do what I was doing and I was wanting to yeah. get out, they're like, dude, what's, you're living large, bro. We're, we're getting, you know, shows around limousines. We're living in penthouses. Yeah. Dude, after every show, we would line up on stage, four groups, each with a group, each group of guys with a, camera and women would come up and take photos with us they put in this envelope or folder and those girls would wait outside backstage door every single night at least mm-hmm. a couple dozen of them even if it was raining yeah you could go home take one home go home with them do whatever you wanted to you know what i mean and at the time i had a girlfriend so i was actually won about 350 pounds in bets because guys were like dude no it's not gonna, okay <laughs> you'll see man you'll see it's gonna you forget about this girl right man but i managed to you know do all right but Oh my gosh, man! It was yeah. uh, it was it was crazy the um, the the type of things that we were dealing with, you know. But um, you know that was uh, that was just not my kind of life. And so I remember one day, one day in particular, we're up on the roof sunning. It was one of the very few days that it was sunny in London. Mm-hmm. It's mandatory. <laughs> but sunny, you got to go sun. Just imagine about eight or nine Chippendales with just socks on on the roof of a building, having a philosophical conversation. And they're yeah. like, dude, man, you know, I'm like, well, you know, dude, I'm an artist, man. And I can build, you know, whatever. And so, yeah. you know, and one couple of guys were like, you know, I've been, I'm just so sick of this stuff. I know there's thing I can do. You know, I want to do this, you know, and now I've got money to do it. I should do it, you know. And I'm like, like they didn't think that I was going to leave. Mm-hmm. And so when I left, 
several other guys left. Mm. And this pissed Steve Banerjee off. Yeah. And so he went after him. He went after everybody. Mm-hmm. He had a process server going after me. There's some other crazy stories of Ted that's just too long, but um, come to find out, some of the guys he found and sued him, they had to go back to work for him. Huh. The guys uh, that he couldn't horrible. find in subpoena, he put contracts out on them. Dang. Yeah. I was one of those guys. Mm-hmm. And so when I was talking to Bob at the, uh, the Nike event, I was like, so what? I, you know, I said, I heard he got thrown in jail for embezzling. Yeah. He goes, that's not what he got thrown in jail for. Yeah. He said, they finally found out, they found enough evidence to prove that he'd had his partner shot in the face nine years before that. Oh, oh my gosh. So uh, they, uh, the day that they took him, or they were going to get him to take him from his prison cell to be sentenced to 26 years to life in prison, he'd hung himself. That's... And so I was like, so then... Do I still have something to worry about here? Yeah, yeah. Am I good? Did that yeah. void that uh, other contract? Yeah, was, no, no. You're, it's all, it's all, yeah. you're all clear now. But so there was, you know, a good couple of years there where I, I didn't even know yeah. how much. I had, you know, I, I knew they were coming after me trying to subpoena me or something, but I didn't know they had gone to that yeah. level. Yeah, that's scary. Well, your modeling history is very different than mine. <laughs> Another Me yeah. Too moment. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So, yeah. Yeah, so you know, a different type of pageant, but yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, yours is a little bit it's more a stage exciting. involved. There were people involved, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. watched. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There was no, uh, mm-hmm. no. Th- mine was very boring compared to yours <laughs> for sure. Did you ever any stalkers or anything like that? Um, there's been like questionable men, but um, I have two brothers and a very ah, overprotective father, and they're awesome. all wrestlers so awesome mm-hmm. i love hearing that wrestlers are the best like when it comes to mma fight. i'm a, i'm big into mma fights mm-hmm. yeah. and stuff wrestlers are the toughest yeah. man mm-hmm. there that's the best core uh you know art to have so yeah much respect for that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I, i've been pretty unscathed yeah. most of my pageant career well, which her, is nice. her family goes with her everywhere awesome. they're constantly together they're one unit I, I married one unit other every, I'm every very day. hard to get yeah, yeah. it comes with oh, a security yeah. system and everything oh, yeah. mm-hmm. you know I mean my wife um, before I met her she she had a stalker oh wow and it was crazy like um, it was here in LA I guess and she had a guard living with her oh wow and this guy broke into her house ooh that's so and so scary. the guard chased her who jumped out her her um, family room window or yeah, window. Jumped through the window. Dude went after him, chased him across several yards, and got him. Mm. Now the guy's back in Germany. But he's free again. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So anytime we go over there, I make sure I'm with her. And if the yeah. dude comes anywhere near her, I'll politely give him a hug. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a little yeah. good night hug. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to hit him. I'm not going to do anything like that. Just a little hug. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's yeah. All. Mm-hmm. Let him know you're there. <laughs> Well, just, you know, yeah. change his mind right quick. Yeah. And let him see things a little mm-hmm. differently, you know, from ground level. And not with any bruises or any yeah. lacerations or anything. Mm-hmm. You know, just wondering, hey, what, what happened here? Mm-hmm. I've become, uh, gotten a much better um, grip on my anger. I grew up with a little anger problem, uh, mainly from being dyslexic and, you know, just not thinking, you know, what yeah. the hell? Why am I being fucked with? You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, transcendental meditation. Oh, okay. Two years and four months of it now has made a world of difference for me. 
Can you explain? I'm picturing meditation, but is there a certain type of meditation, or there are uh, a couple of different um, yogis? Mm-hmm. There's Yogi Bhajan. There's Yogi Marishi that I know of. Those are the two I found out about Marishi first. He's the one that coached the first coach that I went to here in Encino, and the other one I found about not long ago. But the idea of transcendental meditation I love because it's so simple. You're not praising to some god or anything like that. You're not reciting any kind of long ritualistic thing. You have a mantra word, and that word has either two or three syllables. And you just basically get to where you're focusing on that word uh, and just focusing on it again and again and again. And to me, basically, what you're practicing on doing is not getting stuck on something Hmm. when you're meditating. Because... You know, you start off, you try to just, um, it's 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the late afternoon or evening, at least six hours after the first meditation. And you just sit there for 20 minutes and no timer, no sound soother or anything like that. Ambient noises, you just try to let them come and go. It becomes part of your practice. And then you just sit there and just, you know, try to focus on nothing. And then slowly you, you focus on your mantra word and then you let it kind of fade away. And then if it, that, what you're looking for is nothing. Yeah. And nothing is bliss. And you'll have moments of it. You'll never the the entire meditation will never be bliss. It's always different. Sometimes it is restless. Sometimes you're just like, oh my god, is it twenty minutes? Oh my god, is this taking forever? (laughs) But the way they explained it and the way it has made a difference makes sense. It's like you have all these stress balls. Some are bigger, some are tighter than others, and that's what causes all your ails and aches and pains in your health. Mm. And if you can find a way of loosening them. That's what meditation does for you. And so sometimes when you're going through those certain balls, some are harder than others. So it makes sense that not one single meditation is ever going to be the same. Mm -hmm. It's like a spiritual massage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it has an an accumulative effect, meaning you don't need to make sure you don't miss a single time. It's okay to miss some here and there. Maybe even take a week off or something like that. But what I have found... When I am regularly on my meditation, my I'm just the awareness is amazing. Like I, I, I it doesn't keep me from struggling with depression still a little bit, mm. but it helps me to say, "Oh, you're struggling right now," yeah. instead of going deeper into it and not knowing and just you know yeah. getting crazy mm-hmm. with it. it. It makes me more aware of it, and once I'm aware of it, you know, there's certain things I do to help keep it from getting worse. So, do you, just a good filing system. Do you feel that that's so you've been doing it over two years, right? Two years and four months. So has that changed your art in any way? I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. Um, you may not be able to, uh, you know, see the uh, difference in the cuts or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. But I think subject matter is changing because I'm, uh, I've decided, you know, not a New Year proposal <clears throat> either, um, just decided to use the new year as a starting point. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's a new year's proposal. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Tomato, potato. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm going to start focusing more on uh, peaceful images and animals and um, causes related to the environments and animals and people. Yeah. And not so much politics. Because I'm, I was going through my stencils just the other day and saw how many of them are politically related and I think about how much time it took to cut those stencils and the energy of how I'm feeling when I'm cutting those stencils yeah 
and then I look at what was maybe accomplished by cutting that stencil and putting it up and listening, seeing the you know replies and comments and stuff. And you know, I'm a very calculated person, and it just really does not feel like it's worth um, the bad energy it's causing me as to the difference it's going to make in society at all. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like I'm preaching to the crowd a lot of times. Yeah. Or at least trying to humor them, you know, saying, hey, isn't this ridiculous? You know, isn't this silly? Isn't this crazy mm-hmm. or something? But at the same time, if I could take that energy and focus on more positive things, um, I think that's going to be much better for me. Mm-hmm. As well as, I mean, my, my whole monitor is teach peace. Learn peace, teach peace. You know, yeah. if I want to do that more yeah. than it's going to be help if I focus less on what causes the, the divide. Yeah. You know, we're so divided as a country right now um, that I think what we need is something to focus on helping to bring us away, us together in some kind of way. Mm-hmm. No, that's fantastic. And um, so you're mainly a graffiti artist, right? Or? Well, uh, lately, I've, yes. Okay. Lately, I've been doing more uh, graffiti uh, than anything it's um, mainly because it's it's been more therapeutic for me <laughs> I'm like I said I'm from Florida and being here in, in in Los Angeles and seeing how they do the propositions with voting drives me crazy they put in all these different things on a proposition that just shouldn't be together yeah it's like okay you can have this but you're gonna get screwed with this too yeah why why do you have to do that Mm-hmm. You know, so, and then it's like the way they word things sometimes. You don't know what the hell you're voting for. It's true. Is yes good or yes is yes bad? Yeah. What's going on here? And mm-hmm. I'm dyslexic, so put fucking with me. I know. It's yeah. so all right. Are we going to have a time zone or not? <laughs> <laughs> Daylight savings? Yeah. So yes I, I means figured, no? I figured that graffiti is my voice. It's my yeah. vote. You know, mm-hmm. because I don't know, I could do all the research in the world and still screw up and vote for the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. I rely on my wife a lot to help me figure things out because she's very good with reading and, and writing and stuff. Um, but so to be able to do pieces and put them up in the street and see people responding to them, that's been kind of like my therapy. Mm-hmm. But like I said, when I weigh how much energy I put into putting those things out there that frustrate me as opposed to the benefit of the therapy, therapeutic feel that I get from seeing the response from it, it's yeah it's not just didn't worth it mm-hmm. yeah. I feel like I could take that that energy and put it towards something else that's going to get energy that's going to be even better from other yeah. people and um, you know and just make more sense for what I'm aiming for with this mm-hmm. I'll probably still do pieces occasionally like if something just really pisses me off <laughs> but I have a couple of friends that um, are graffiti artists as well that I've worked with and I'll just let them put them up on their stuff mm-hmm. as, <laughs> as I've talked to different artists I find it's really interesting to kind of see their their art journey how the oh well I started as a portrait painter and then I did pencil and I did this. can you tell me a little bit about how so you're focusing on graffiti now and you had mentioned earlier you started with you know painting stallions uh, and horses where was the middle of that? Where did your art journey take you in the middle of there, in between? How'd you go from horses to graffiti? Um, let's see. I would say it, uh, it, it took a time. I mean, I was doing the commission paintings of the horses mm-hmm. uh, for a long time. Uh, I was going to horse shows 
and uh, doing the paintings as dogs as well. But um, I would say one of the turning points from that particular phase was when 9-11 happened. Um, I was out here in L.A., and I had done a couple of um, events with some artwork, some charity events or something like that. And um, it was still commissioned work, though. I really hadn't done a series of paintings that had a message to them. And so after 9-11 happened, um, I had a really, really bad uh, experience with one of these charity events. Did two massive paintings. And then, like, um, I guess it was two days before the event, um, it got canceled. Oh, my gosh. It's the worst. Yeah. Yeah. And so then the next event, the guy was going to make it up to me because he was going to put these other two pieces that I did in the live auction. And so I was going to get a good percentage and get up on stage and this, that, and the other. But then that went haywire. Um, oh, my God. Who was the famous dancer guy that I did the painting of? Two paintings of. Doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> anyway, that went horribly as well. <clears throat> and so I just wanted to quit doing art for a while. Yeah. And doing commission stuff, and so that's when 9/11 happened. Mm-hmm. No, no, I'm sorry, it happened before that, and so that happened right after that, and so that's when I decided, you know what, this 9/11 thing happened. You know, I'm sick and tired of doing art for just money. Let me let me make a message. Let's see if I can do a message. And so then that's when the idea came of, well, all right, 9/11 happened. How am I going to do something that has to do with that? How am I going to represent how I feel about <clears throat> that? And so that's where I came up with the idea of all the different religious symbols, hiding them in the details of these paintings. Because if you want to get along, you just look at the big picture. Yeah. But if you want to pick things apart and cause problems, then you start looking at all the details and picking out all the different symbols. And so um, that's what led to me going to, uh, to the Pentagon and getting set up there, um, as well as the State Department, mind you. Um, and then uh, by that time, um, I also went to, to Africa. And did the same thing in a hospital in Periwinyatwa Hospital in Harare, Zimbabwe. And um, I had just come back from the second time of going to Zimbabwe in 2008. And that's when I met my wife. And um, very shortly after getting to know her, within a week or so, she's like, so listen, I'm going to a fertility clinic. I'm going to you know, have a kid and everything. She thought I was just like some summer fun. Mm. You know? <laughs> And by that time, I realized that, you know, I was, uh, kids responded well to me that if I had ever had an opportunity to mentor a kid or if I met a woman that already had a child, I'd be cool with helping to raise it. No desire to want to have one of my own, but if one was there, cool with helping to raise it. And so this was kind of the same thing. You get to start from ground zero. Yeah. So I was like, okay. And she's like, did you hear what I said? <laughs> yeah. She's like, aren't your parents going to be kind of freaked out about that? And I'm like... My parents are going to be freaked out that I've settled down with one woman. Mm. <laughs> um, if there's going to have a chance of having grandkids, they don't care if we beam them in from outer space. <laughs> okay? Mm-hmm. So um, that's what's uh, caused the next change. And I, when I came out here to L.A., it was in 1999. And when I first got out here, the only graffiti that I really noticed was the, the old Bay Face by Shepard Ferry. I saw a couple of Alec Monopoly, uh, you know, the money guy uh, pieces, and I saw a couple of free humanity mm-hmm. pieces. And I was like, man, this is cool. I want to do something like this. But I just couldn't come up with anything. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I had airbrush t-shirts, like I mentioned, uh, in the tourist area and done bubble letters with an airbrush, tiny ones. So I could easily do, you know, a big bubble and I could do amazing pieces if I wanted to, mm-hmm. but I didn't really want to do that, you know? Um, so I didn't, I, I wanted to do paintings of graffiti actually for a while, but then I figured, you know what? I better not do that because guys may get pissed, you know, I better you know, try to do some graffiti myself, but I just couldn't think of anything. <laughs> so when my twins were born, that's uh, 2010, uh, in August, and it was right when they were making cuts in the education budget mm. and taking art out of schools. And I told my, and my wife's the one that showed me the article in the newspaper. It's all, you know, it's her fault that I got started. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, uh, sweetie, it's time for me to start doing some graffiti. I just had something that just come to my mind. Mm-hmm. And I said, now my wife is from Germany. She's uh, Greek, Italian, and Turkish, and um, she speaks like four languages and everything. And uh, but she didn't know how you know getting arrested works over here or anything <laughs> like that, you know? Yeah. And uh, so I said, sweetie, I'm gonna start doing some graffiti, and uh, she's very supportive. And so I said, now the way I'm gonna go after it, though, I'm gonna get arrested at some point. Okay. Now. Uh, but that's going to be okay because it's going to help get my message out there. And she's like, okay. And what's going to happen, sweetie? Is you're going to get a call one morning, or probably a message on the answering machine, and then you're just mm-hmm. going to have to come down to the police station, you know, bring a pile of bondsmen or something like yeah. that, you know? And then, uh, yeah, sure enough, that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> December, all, all per plan. <laughs> yeah. December 15th, yeah. 2011, at about 4.45 in the morning, <laughs> I uh, I'm in the Sunset Plaza, and I have this stencil that says "Teach each child." Okay. <laughs> yeah. Now I'd be honest with you. I thought if I ever got caught, or when I got caught, I should say that they would see this and they'd be like, "Okay, I get it." But you know, clean this up. You know, mm-hmm. go home. Yeah. Whatever, or something like that, right? And so I was spraying these little blank yellow signs that are along the street. There's um, they're like little squares that are up on the corners, kind of like little caution signs for the medians and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was spraying those signs and the security guard's like, hey, what are you doing? Now at the time I was still a rookie because I had a, a, a hoodie on with the hood up. Oh, like yeah. an idiot, right? <laughs> just look at me, look at me, I'm a vandal. So, um, you know, I just looked over at him and I'm just walked on down the street, you know, because the one might be walking, oh, I'm over here doing this, you know, yeah. like, mm-hmm. see ya, it's I'm out of here. Yeah. <laughs> and because I, I had a list of things I wanted to do that night. And <laughs> so I get down to the, the House of Blues, which mm-hmm. is a Sunset and Olive. Yeah. It's gone now, mind you. Mm-hmm. It's because they fuck with me. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, now, they had this marquee out front, the sign that had the days of the weeks and the bands and everything. And a couple of days before, I could spell out free school. Mm. and teach with the letters that were up there because they had freestyle fellowship Sundays Mm, right yeah so you know I hop up there you know they're movable letters you know moving around and everything I'm not marking anything up Mm -hmm. you know little did I know that the security guard back at Sunset Plaza was a retired deputy Mm. who had them on speed dial you know and Also, little did I know that at the House of Blues, there's a 24-hour security guard that sits in a room with a bunch of monitors Mm -hmm. of all the cameras in all different spots. And he's just sitting there watching me, you know, like, what's this fool doing here? (laughs) (laughs) You know, so he's calling the cops as well. And so I hop down from the sign, you know, and then 
take a picture. This is when you had a, a, a camera that was separate from your phone. Mm, mm-hmm. It's 2011, yeah, yeah. okay? <laughs> take a picture. As soon as I took that picture, I just remember out of my peripheral vision, I see two sheriff's cars pull up side to side right next to the, the sidewalk there. Both doors open. Two little guys come running over with the guns. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> now, this, um, this was the surprising part for me. Um, and a little funny, too, but not at the moment yeah. type funny. Because I had rehearsed for this moment. I knew I was going to get arrested yeah. someday, okay? So what I had done was I had rehearsed funny things to say. <laughs> funny, clever things, you know? Because mm-hmm. here's the thing. If you can make a cop laugh, you got a chance of getting some mercy. Okay? It's, just, <laughs> it's true. It's mm-hmm. true. You can feel it for you. If you can make him endear him in some way, yeah. you got a chance, okay? Just a connection of any kind, yeah. Yeah. And I'd even rehearsed some of these looking in the mirror. You know what I mean? Like laughing out loud at myself. Oh, that's brilliant. They'll laugh at you. They will let you go. Yeah. Right? Well, the problem is I had never done any of those rehearsals. A little guy running up to me pointing a gun in my face who yeah. I didn't know. Now, like I said, I grew up in my military and stuff. And yeah. My friends and I used to shoot each other with BB guns and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I used to have a guy shooting me. But I never had someone I didn't know yeah. with a real big gun that would go all the way through me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I froze, and you know what? It was like a moment in time where I ran through all those rehearsals, and each of them was not funny. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, 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 no. Yeah, He's saying no. that one won't be funny. No, yeah. no he, he, not that one. Not that one. No, 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 no. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> and all I could get to come out of my mouth was, "I'm just having fun." You know, I'm not trying to do anything. I'm just having fun. <laughs> I mean, I just, all I said was, I'm just having fun. <laughs> you know? Aww. She thought it was funny. Yeah. yeah. How come they couldn't think it was funny? That's why I'm not a cop, though. I'd be like, okay, you can well, leave now. Thing. Like, I'm this big guy. I'm probably, you know, a good foot and a half taller than these guys. Mm-hmm. And I know these guys deal with a bunch of crazy, crazy. Yeah. And who knows when I'm going to freak out on them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They don't, they, they're on guard. You know, yeah. it took them a while but to realize that, hey, okay, this guy's cool. He's not going to run or do anything. And, um, you know, so they put me in the back of the car, and that's when I found out that I don't fit in the back of a car, <laughs> of a cop car. I'm yeah. kind of a big guy. I've got long legs and anything. They had to stick me in sideways. <laughs> and so they took me back down to Sunset Plaza, and they brought the, the guard who <laughs> called him over to the car, and he's like, yeah, that's him. And they took him over to the sign, you know, and showed him the sign, and they're like... Yeah. <laughs> what? Shrugging the shoulder. I'm doing a shrugging. I'm sorry. I'm doing mm-hmm. a podcast. Here. Like yeah. looking at the yeah, sign. I'm like, shrugging. what the hell, man? What? Really? Really? <clears throat> All right, dude. Whatever. That's what I looked like they were saying. Mm-hmm. And this is when I thought I had a chance. Okay. So the cop uh, that, um, one of the cops that arrested me comes back over to the car. He's like, dude, what's, uh, what's going on, man? You been drinking tonight? You just angry? What's going on? You know? I'm like, No. I'm completely sober. Um, you know, I mean, don't you agree that making cuts? And he goes, no, 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 no. I get it, I get it, I get it. Mm-hmm. But don't you have a lookout? <laughs> yeah, you yeah don't you mean? have a lookout? <laughs> so I thought, oh, oh, he's, he's like, you know, yeah. being cool with me now, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, I don't want to get anyone else in trouble. You know, this is this is my thing. This is my message I'm putting out there. I don't want anyone else to get in trouble for this. And, and uh, you know, he's like, um, well... Well, it's too bad, man. You're gonna, I'm like, well, so what's the deal? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're going in. Mm. Oh. 
oh, you know, this is what I'm ready for. Okay. But on the way in, he told me, he's like, look, um, that security guard, he's a retired deputy. Yeah. yeah. That dude wasn't a retired deputy, man. Just between you and I, I'm not going to take you in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I get it. I get what you're doing, man. Mm-hmm. So $6,000 later. Woo! Yeah. Well, they had me on what's called a wobbler. Okay. See, now when I got started doing graffiti, I did some research, put some money aside for fines. Mm-hmm. Little did I know that shortly after I got started, they went after a revoke. And they changed the laws to where anything that you do that costs more than $400 to fix, to repaint, to whatever, mm-hmm. felony. Ooh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And since they saw like four or five signs that I had done, they were trying to say they needed new signs. Mm-hmm. Each sign was like $120. Yeah. That's over 400 right there. Mm-hmm. So that would be on what's called a wobbler. They uh, were, is a $10,000 bail. My wife comes down and this asshole jail tender who, I'm just going to say it, you know, whatever. Um, I was being as cool as I could to him, you know, trying to crack him up, this, that, and the other. You know, it's five o'clock in the morning, you know, this yeah. guy's booking me in or whatever. But this guy was that guy in high school who's just not attractive at all and maybe a little overweight and just bitter because all the tall, good looking people picked on him and no one wanted to be his friend. Now, I'm not starting to say I'm a tall, good looking guy or anything. <laughs> but about podcast, this many so years, never know. <laughs> but about this many years ago, I, I still had more hair on my head. And was, I'm a decent looking guy. Okay. So basically this guy had a chip on his shoulder. And the nicer I was, the more he just didn't yeah. like me. Yeah. And so I made my wife wait for four hours. Oh, oh, my God. And he knew just how long to wait before I got sent to county. Now, wow. if I would have gotten sent to county, you stay in county until your your um, your uh, jury date. Until, I'm sorry, until your, um, your court date. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. And so I would have been there, like, for a month or two. But he would have gotten in trouble for that. Oh, okay. Yeah. I would have been able to say, hey, you know, this, that, and the other, and he would have gotten in trouble. But he knew exactly how long to make me wait and make my wife wait because my wife is beautiful, and he saw that. And so he was just bitter about the whole damn thing. Sorry, I just had to say that. Mm. Um, But, uh, yeah, so um, $6,000 later. Now, here's the thing. I... um, I actually chilled out for a little while, mm-hmm. um, but then I had guys, you know, saying, dude, why don't you come be a part of our crew? Hey, why don't you come be a part of our crew? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And at the time, I, I still was um, hanging out with these guys back from Florida that were, um, worked for the government and would be happy to come out here and help me out if I ever needed help, basically. Um, and one of which was an EOD fella, which is explosive ordnance disposal, but he does it underwater. Hmm. So if you ever seen the movie A Hurt Locker, yeah, like that guy would look at this guy and go, "No, that guy's the badass. He does it <laughs> underwater." Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah, so I basically didn't need a crew, mm. but then this guy stepped up and he was like, "Man, I'll cover you." I'm like, I don't have to be a part of a crew. He's like, "No." And this this was the best lookout ever. My brother Scott Lane. Shout out, brother. Loud Labs. <laughs> um, 
he and his buddy were putting up street art for a while, but his business that he ran, that he still runs now and actually has uh, a few employees now and he doesn't have to work <laughs> anywhere near as hard as he used to. He would sit in the middle of LA in his very fast car with eight police radios and a very nice film camera. And if you ever seen the movie um, Nightcrawlers with Jake Gyllenhaal, mm-hmm. yeah. that's him. Oh, cool. They basically based that movie on him. Jake Gyllenhaal like, called him and, and got counseling from him for that part. They pushed it, of course. They Hollywood the yeah, hell. Yeah, Hollywood. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that's basically what my friend does. He's a stringer. You know, he listens for the action, goes, films it, and sells it to the news stations. Sure. So he was the perfect lookout. And he yeah. a lot of times he liked filming too, so he'd be there to film me as well. But if there was ever anyone ever called a cop to come after me, I would know. Now this is just luck. He never had to call me down. Mm-hmm. And the good thing was he didn't even have to be there because yeah. there were several times where I was like, "Hey, I'm going to be hitting this board." It's he's like, "Where is it?" And I'm telling him he turned on all the other radios except for that section, mm-hmm. and then you know if needed be, he would just hit me on my cell phone. Mm-hmm. But that luck, it just it never happened. Yeah, of the seventy or eighty billboards I've been up on, never got caught up on a billboard. I actually, wow. had cops looking right at me up on a billboard. Yeah. One time, I remember I was up on this billboard on Western, and it's right where you come off the 101 for Santa Monica and Western, okay? And if you come up and you go left, and you're getting ready to turn right or left of Western, you're basically looking right at a billboard. Yeah. And all you got to do is just look up, and there I was standing on the catwalk, okay? (laughs) And uh, my buddy was with me, uh, Sean Murphy, he's a big-time photographer, and this night he just happened to be have some time he wanted to go out and see some stuff mm-hmm. and so I was like okay I'll show you some stuff that night I actually hit four billboards but um, this was the uh, the second one and so he's over there watching the whole thing he pulled over and he's like all hit out and, and he saw <laughs> the cop pulling up and everything he's like oh boy this is gonna get good mm-hmm. yeah but it's all about body language yeah and I had I had it down to where they would have to come up at a certain point in order to really bust me Okay, I wasn't up there trying to be fancy with, with spray cans and doing these amazing pieces that these guys do, which I have total respect for. These mm-hmm. guys are awesome. Mm-hmm. There doesn't need to be anyone else doing it. They're doing it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. My thing was putting up a message, and this one it had a big ape on it. It was Planet of the Apes. And so I did like a big speak bubble thing that said, teach peace. Right? Um, and so mostly what I did was, was pasters on the billboards. And so I'd get up there, and if a cop rolls up on me, I'm wearing white pants and I got a construction helmet on. Okay. Yeah. So you look legit. I look legit. Mm-hmm. And I always watched these guys if I was ever driving by and I saw yeah. anyone on a billboard, I would just stop. I would just pull over and just watch them. Yeah. What are they and doing? And look at what they're doing mm-hmm. and what they're wearing and how they're, you know, walking around. Mm-hmm. And so I had it down to where, you know, if I'm, I would get up there and then I would put the pace down. If a cop comes up at that time, I'm just saying, yeah, I just got through taking some stuff down with this pace. Yeah. You know? And so once I get the paste up, if he rocks up when I'm rolling the piece out, that's where the, I'm doing a setup for a TMZ uh, commercial they're going to be shooting, and then I'm going to be coming out later to the state to take this down. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hollywood. You know? Never had to mm-hmm. use that. <laughs> but yeah. it was ready, you know what I mean? But once I get that thing rolled out, which only at the most, the longest one that I did was like, 15 or 20 seconds just to roll it out mm-hmm. as soon as I get it towards rolled out and I'm you know kind of smoothing it out I'm good to go 
Because yeah. if a cop rolls up at that point, I'm like, yeah, I'm putting a stripper on this to take this down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I had it down. I had it down yeah. to a technique. But this, so this cop rolled up, and I had just gotten up on the, the catwalk, and I'm walking around. I got my bucket full of paste, and I've got my rolled up paster with me in, in the roller. And I see him, and so I just set my bucket down. I sit down the roller, just like I'm supposed to be doing that. Yeah. Walk around to the side, look up at the back, and reach around, start doing, you know, jiggling yeah. something like mm-hmm. this. It's where I can just see him right out of the corner of my eye, you know. And then he just turns and drives right up western north and goes on about mm-hmm. his day. Mm-hmm. And then I go and I get my bucket and get my paste and I go on about my way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's smart. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's and, and then. Actually, I, I stepped back from doing billboards um, a couple of years ago because we found out my son has sensory processing disorder. Oh, okay. And uh, he doesn't have it to the degree of autism, but it was enough of a, it's like a challenge, almost like having a third kid. You know, we had to put him through speech therapy, physical therapy, um, uh, behavioral therapy. And so once we found out that it was certifiable, um, I'd already been arrested once. And so if I get arrested again, then it turns into a shitstorm, and I may have to be away for a little while. Mm. Yeah. And it's not worth it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, dude, really? You want to go be a her hero? And what's that going to accomplish? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, your kid needs you to be here for him right now. So, um, yeah, a few years ago, I did one more billboard. It was actually with um, uh, Charlize Theron. As oh. the... Um, uh, Mad Max. Uh, Your favorite actress. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I thought it was a nice one to end on. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, at least for a while. You know? mm-hmm. I mean, once my kid's much more stable and everything, I mean, billboards ain't going nowhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I decided that um, at that time I would step back. and I mean, I still do questionable stuff, but it's all like, I mean, I have a permit to put up stuff on these electrical boxes. Yeah. Yeah. I actually have one permit for one in downtown LA. Okay. And I just put it in a nice plastic sleeve and take it with me and go hit oh, yeah. whatever box I want. And then if a cop comes up, yeah, I, I pull out this thing. And usually they see that and they see the, the seal on it or whatever. And they say, oh, okay. You know, uh, a lot of times I don't even ask for that. But every once in a while when they, they take it and they look at it and they start looking at all the details. And I'm like, okay, well, here comes this. Yeah. Um, then I just use my ability as a 50-year-old white man who can speak eloquently when I need to. And reason, and I always carry a can of gray spray paint with me, yeah. so that worst comes to worst, mm-hmm. worst comes to worst, you know, hey, I'll spray over it, and then I'm doing community service. I'm putting a layer of yeah. paint on this box for them. So, you know, it's it's all in how you you, know, you make the approach and everything. And so I don't, I'm not doing any crazy illegal mm. stuff these days. Kind of retired for the time being. Okay. But I got to tell you. Um, I'm not an addictive personality type, luckily. Um, but if there ever was one thing to be addicted to, it is this. I will never stop doing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I could see how it would be an yeah. adrenaline rush. Yeah. Well, it's also a way to keep your mind sharp. It's therapeutic for me if I'm cutting a stencil because I'm dealing with my anger issues and destroying something using a knife but creating something at the same time. Yeah. For and a positive then, message. Um, yeah, and then putting yeah. it out on the street. So it's... Uh, yeah. Yeah, and then, then there's always like, you know, events that come up, or sometimes I'll just see a certain setting, and I'll come up with an image, you know. And um, you know, as you get older, you gotta you gotta keep doing these things to keep your mind sharp. Yeah. Otherwise, it atrophies, and then you get yeah. Alzheimer's or whatever the hell. Yeah, dementia or. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
No, that, that sounds really cool. Well, we are, um, we, it's, we're over what we normally go yeah. over. Because um, it's just been very interesting to talk to you. Oh, I ramble like crazy. Yeah. I had some caffeine earlier, so. That was very, I was like, yeah. we have plenty of time. I'm like, oh man, we're out of time. Um, if someone's um, trying to connect with you, um, what would you suggest your um, Instagram or your website or how do people find you? I would say uh, for now, the easiest way would be to send me a, a DM on Instagram. It's T E A C H R the number one and uh, so it's at teacher one on Instagram uh, but I have a new uh, art rep that I'm going to be working with Heidi Johnson with hmm. hijinks arts and so um, she would be another uh, person to reach out to as well perfect yeah do you have any do you work with galleries at all or do you have any like events coming up that you'd like to we promote? do have an event coming up that uh We'd like to, if you could join us, it'd be great. Um, We're still working on a venue. It's probably going to be at the Container Yard on March 17th. Okay. And basically it's going to be kind of like a get-together group show of all the people that were on the uh, Paint the Town podcast. Mm. Um, And so we're going to hopefully get as many as them as we can to bring in a piece for uh, for a group show. And uh, we haven't, you know, we'll probably decide on some kind of a charity if there's any kind of sales for it to go towards. But it's more or less to, uh, like a meet and greet type of thing. We're going to invite the the public as well, uh, do some, do a little bit of PR for it. Um, but uh, let's see. Other than that, I got a piece, uh, some stuff coming up for the LA Art Show. We're going to be doing the uh, walking the yeah the runway. walking the runway. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another thing There's no up. stripping in that, I promise. <laughs> well, I, I mean, if you <laughs> yeah. have your mm-hmm. Velcro thong, it could yeah. be a very mm-hmm. interesting show. Yeah. I just, I feel comfortable. Yeah. I feel, That's no, good. No. <laughs> I won't put anyone through that, I promise. That's the years of flaunting the body gone. <laughs> Got dad bodies. <laughs> but uh, still somewhat in shape, but just hey, not the underwear model I used to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> represent the you that you want to represent. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, I'm sure you have a ton more stories, so I'm sure um, I'll ask you to be on again. Oh, absolutely. Um, okay, love perfect. It. And you got to come on our, our, uh, our podcast oh, as well. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah. be awesome. awesome. Very cool. Huh? Thanks for having me. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you, guys. Bye.